Hey, what's up? Hey, dude. What's happening? You ready? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I'm juiced. Okay, cool. Welcome to another episode of Wiretapping. This interview is with Asia, TNS crew. So, um, let's start out. Tell everyone, tell everyone where, how you got your name. Um, well, I write two different names. Um, I'm kind of from the school where uh, cats used to write a lot of different names. And um, so I used to write Asia, and I used to also write Sizer. And I had a throw-up name, too, which was Nine. And um, I don't really know where I got Asia. I wrote, like, a bunch of different names uh, back in the mid-'80s. And then around 90, I just kind of started writing it. Um, I was really influenced by this cat named Pace from KTD. It's, it's, a, it's a Berkeley crew. And he was the type of guy that every piece he would draw on paper, it was with a different name. So it's very likely I, I just picked it up from him. He kind of schooled me on it. But uh, A has always been my favorite letter. And I just like the way it's like really stable. It's like a, it's like a triangle. So it had two, two A's in it. Um, and I just started writing it. And, you know, four letters was long enough for me. And five letters was too much. So, uh, so yeah, so I wrote Asia. And then sometimes when I get tired of trying to figure out the letter forms and the connections, then I would switch up to size because uh, I like the letter S a lot. It's, it's, a, it's a good letter. Cool. So um, tell us, we talked a little bit about this before, but tell us how you, how you got into graffiti originally. Yeah, so, so I'm from Berkeley. Um, this is West Coast, California. And... Um, I got into graffiti from breakdancing. I was a, a breakdancer, and this was like 1984. And, you know, I was a young little toy. Um, I can still break, by the way, when I drink too much. Um, I'm, I'm known to get down so I can windmill and all that. Anyway, um, in 84, I was a part of this crew, and we used to perform up on Telegraph Avenue. This is in Berkeley. And um, my graffiti name, or it was a breaking name at that time, it wasn't even a graffiti name, it was Auto Man, and uh, they used to have this TV show. I think it was only like a one-season TV show called Auto Man. It was kind of like a Knight Rider TV show where this dude could, uh, I, think, I think he either transformed into a car or something like that. Anyway, um, I started tagging that um, more not knowing very much about graffiti, but just trying to get my breaking name up. And um, so this was 84, and I started bombing the, the school bathrooms, the hallways, um, I think I was like 12, 12 and a half at the time. And um, what kind of happened, just from my perspective, as far as hip-hop back then, around 85, at least the scene that I was part of, is like breaking died really quickly. Like it was it was big flash in the pan. And by like 85, you could already take like breaking lessons at the YMCA. And, you know, soccer moms were like, instead of doing like jazzercise, they were doing like breakdancing classes. So for, for me and my boys, it got played out really quickly. So all of us either went into two things or three things. We either went into graffiti, we went into like DJing or rapping, or we just gave up hip-hop all the way. So um, I just went into graffiti, you know. Um, it was natural for me. I was talking to my mom about this uh, a while ago, and, you know, I was known as a little kid to bomb all the walls in our house, for, you know, at three or four to write on all the walls with crayons, so... <laughs> it's always kind of like, you know, it's my inner child, I guess. It's who I really am. It's, you don't want to put my name up on a wall. And, um, yeah, so that was like 85. And that's when I started really, you know, taking it seriously um, as much as you can as a toy at that point, you know. 
And uh, that's when movies like Beat Street and Breaking, Wild Style came out, and Subway Art um, kind of, you know, came out and gave us the rules of what to do. And, um, yeah, those were the good old days, you know, just cutting class, smoking pot, and, and um, you know, tag, tagging, you know, and looking up to the, the, the cats that were there before us. So, Who were the cats that were there before you? Um, well, it's funny because I've listened to a lot of these, these interviews now, so I kind of know these questions. And uh, it's like I've had different writers at different points in my career that influenced me. And so, like, early on, like, in, in the Bay Area, I, I was really influenced by two cats from Berkeley. And I don't know, I don't know if they're well-known outside of the Bay Area, but, but um, it's a cat named Pacer, um, not the Pace that you hear on, on, on these previous interviews, and another cat named Razor. And this, they had a crew called KTD. They had different names back then, but when they became well-known, it was KTD, Kick the Dog. So they're really kind of style kings, and they focus on... Uh, letter forms and you know th those guys are dope even today when i when i look back at their pieces they're really dope um and then i was also influenced by like the san francisco writers specifically like um this was like 85 86 so crayon and tws was big at this point um and also i looked really up to uh tmf specifically doug and uh, i was a big fan of doug and all the work they did at crocker park this is in san francisco um and they used to do all these, like, what they call, like, new, new wave. These things look like spaceships with uh, um, all these different bright colors and pastels and stuff. And um, so I was really into it at that time. It was this California style. And later on, I, I kind of pushed that aside and went much more into the classical New York funk letters. And, um, but at, at, at that time, it was really TWS, TMF, uh, and my boys from KTD, you know, in Berkeley, and uh, that's what was going on then. So did you get into graffiti, do you think, out of an interest in art? Were you interested in art before this? Um, or are you now? Yeah, you know, I was a big <laughs> Lego master. In fact, I, my mom just bought me some Legos, actually, as a joke for my last Christmas present. But, um, uh, yeah, so I was really into Legos and building things. You know, I'm a graphic designer now. I make my living from graphic design. And in hindsight, I probably should have been an industrial designer because uh, I enjoy working with my hands more. But, uh, yeah, it was just there. Uh, it's, it, it was just like a natural thing. I didn't have to think twice about it. I always liked to draw. Um, I always used to like to build things. Um, and, you know, I've I just always been into excitement. You know, even now as a full-grown adult, I still do crazy things that, you know, everyone else is like, when are you going to grow out of it? And I'm just like, well, you know. I like I like excitement, you know. I'm addicted to, to adrenaline now as an adult. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe I'll talk a little bit about the scene back then. This was great. So I was part of the first generation Bay Area scene, and I guess the only scene in California at that time outside of the Bay Area was L.A. and maybe San Diego. Um, and this was like this was like my you know fantasy world. It was a heyday. It was a uh, over on the East Bay, we had uh, 23rd Yard, which was in Oakland. And it was a, a big meeting place for a lot of riders from all over the, the East Bay. And riders from San Francisco would come over. And this was when, like, Dream and Vogue and uh, a bunch of old school uh, Oakland crews were kind of running that yard. And um, it was great. You know, it was a great. This is probably the happiest time of my life, you know. I listened to that to that thing about in the interview that Ichabod said about 
you know, when you're young and you're a toy, that is kind of the, the, the happiest time in your graffiti career, yeah. you know, because things are so new to you and, you know, and you're, you're trying to learn how to handle the cans and you're looking up to these guys, you know, you're putting them on these pedestals, you know, you don't know who they are. And so that's kind of where I was at that point uh, in, in my scene there. So who's the first graffiti writer that you met or who was the, the first, um, I guess, contact who was already painting and stuff? Uh, there was like, who was these guys? Um, what did he write? It was this cat. We used to smoke weed together. So this was uh, like, I was 12. So sixth grade, we smoked weed together. Um, there was this cat named Verse. And he only wrote, I think, for like two years. But um, through him, we hooked up with a couple other kids. This one guy named Pacer, who I just mentioned. And then that was kind of like, uh, through Pacer and these guys, I met the larger scene in the Bay Area, because um, they were more established. Um, you know, they'd been to New York, and, um, you know, they'd snapped photos of all this New York stuff, so they had all this, like, this stuff to draw from that, you know, we didn't know what we were doing back then. We didn't have any pictures of graffiti even back then to really look at. So, um, so yeah, it was verse. Yeah, he only wrote two years, so I, I don't know if it's really worth mentioning, but... Um, Pacer and Razor are definitely cats that are worth mentioning. Cool. So, um, well, I, we're going to skip around a little bit, but, uh, yeah. so you mentioned your, your graphic designer now. So, um, yeah. we talked a little bit about this before, but how has graffiti sort of influenced what you're doing now? Um, completely influenced. Um, I mean, graphic design and graffiti are basically the same thing. Um, it's, uh, you know, to look at it, graffiti from the graphic design point of view, like graffiti is really just a manipulation of letter forms or typography. And that's basically what graphic design is, uh, too. I make my living, you know, I might lose my voice in this because I'm coming down with the cold, but I make my living from doing logo design. And so the next time you look at a logo, just look at it as like a little piece because it's really just a little piece. It's got a few different letters, like a company name. And then it's got like a little symbol next to it. And so I always just look at it like it's a piece with a character next to it. And um, so it's exactly the same. And, um, you know, I have to laugh at it now is that, you know, I used to bomb all these buildings and get in all sorts of trouble and that sort of stuff. And now I get paid by the companies to, to do letter forms on their buildings. And um, <laughs> it's funny that, you know, a, a lot of graffiti artists, it seems like they go down once – once they grow out of graffiti, they go down a couple different routes. They like become tattoo artists. They become graphic designers. Um, what else do they do? And or they try to make a living from their graffiti art. That's it. Just everyone I know is in one of, one of those scenes still. So um, it's just a natural uh, uh, transgression. Is that the word? Or I don't know. Um, <laughs> The funny thing about it is, is I don't. My graphic design does not look like Source Magazine at all. Um, I do like hardcore Swiss typography, and if you know about graphic design, it doesn't really have anything to do. With, you, you couldn't look at me and say, "Oh, he's a graffiti artist." It's it's two different worlds. Like my graffiti art lives in this world, and my graphic design lives in this world. They're they're two different styles, and um, so I don't do dripping Source Magazine <laughs> covers, graphic design. That's not my Thing. you know that honestly that actually as, as a career move that limits you if, you if you only do graffiti looking graphic design but uh yeah it's good you know i spend all day doing logos and um it's just like i used to spend all day 
doing pieces, you know, in my black book, it's the exact same thing. And um, logo design is a very uh, specific uh, niche in graphic design. A lot of people aren't good at it, and it's actually the highest paid in the whole graphic design scene. It's branding. That's what branding is at the core of it. It's logo design. So, so yeah. So I'm content doing that. You know, it's it's mine. It's natural for me to be doing it. So cool. Yeah. So um, after the Bay Area, what? Um, well. For a lot of us, you were hugely influential on the trains, so yeah. tell us how you so, got into trains. So so what happened was that around 15, um, I started getting a lot of trouble. You know, I was selling dope and all this sort of stuff, and um, I got, a, not really arrested, but someone narked on me, and basically um, I got on probation. It was either go to jail or do probation and, like, you know, paint some walls on Saturdays at the school and stuff like that. So basically, I was just fucking up, and um, my parents split, and um, I dropped out of high school, and I moved up to Sacramento to where my mom was living. Um, and for about two or three years, I didn't do graffiti at all. I was just working and like trying to like stay out of trouble. Um, I was totally smoked out at that point. I was a huge pothead at that point in my life. And then around 1990, I got my shit together. And I started going to junior college again, and I went to, uh, what was it, Sac, Sac City. And at Sac City, I met this cat named Rifa, and Rifa went to that school as well. And um, uh, he was actually, believe it or not, he was from Berkeley too, except he was, he was from a generation slightly after me, and so I didn't know him. But uh, we hooked up there and, in Sacramento, and he had a crew called TCB. It was the Capitals Best, or Taking Care of Business. This was 1990, and um, Tunes from L.A., some people might know who he is, real dope writer, um, and a couple other cats, Mad Hatter and this kid named Spectre. Um, and at this point, for, these guys were mostly like legal wall painters. you got to remember, this was like when Hex and Slick were doing these giant like octopus mural battles with spray cans, and it was, it was like that L.A. mural, giant mural scene was huge, and can control was like, you know running the, the whole graffiti scene, it seemed like. Um, so they were part of it. And that wasn't really part of my being brought up. I've always been kind of into bombing and illegals and doing silvers and doing illegal pieces. And so uh, so I got down with them for about about two years. Um, I'm still in the crew. I, I, I don't really think it's going on anymore. But uh, And then around, I think, 93... Um, I started TNS, which stood for Taking No Sellouts, or um, The Night Shift, and it was really a reaction to uh, my crew TCB, because they were all legal painters for the most part, with occasional illegal, uh, illegal pieces, and I wanted to be strictly hardcore, you know, I wanted to go all city, and I wanted to do all these things, so I just started bombing Asia TNS, and that was just me, um, my bombing crew, and... Um, yeah, and I went all city in Sacramento, and um, which is you know Sacramento is a big city, and so uh, it's probably seven or eight square miles um, spread out, and I went all city with tags, throw ups, silvers, pieces, heavens on the freeways, and um, and yeah, so from like ninety three to ninety five, um, I was going all city in Sacramento, and around ninety four, Rifa got down with me. He started being really into doing illegals, you know, getting up, do, putting in work the way you're supposed to put in work. Um, 
And then right around 94, all of a sudden, we switched up onto freights. And um, um, I can talk about that if you want. Um, yeah. How, how yeah, we got started freights. That. Yeah. Um, so I had, I had tagged freights way back in the 80s um, because the 23rd yard in Oakland, it's in, uh, it's in East Oakland. And the trains sometimes they pull in and they wait for um, to switch as they're going south to San Jose. And a lot of riders used to stop their pieces on the walls and just tag the trains as they were there. So I'd tagged some trains before, and I'd also seen some pictures of Picasso. Picasso's this cat from, uh, I think it was San Jose or San Leandro or something like that. And he had done these big old wild styles on these holy rollers, and this was like 88, 89. And I'd seen pictures of them, and I thought, you know, it was a curiosity. And then we were in Sacramento, and we were up uh, at this yard called... Uh, the C Street Yard, I think it's 16th, and it's right there at Hagen's Junction, which I now know is a very famous junction for trains. It's where UP and then the SP um, hand off trains right there, and um, it's just south of Roseville, so there's tons of trains running. Um, and we started seeing pieces, um, and they were mostly just toy pieces and um, mostly, you know, tags, you know, just real toy stuff. And then I remember like. 94, um, we started seeing pieces in like, I don't know, magazines, I think Can Control started throwing in like one or two freights. And then I remember going to, this, this yard is gone, I think it, it used to be a Western Pacific yard back in the old days, which is, I think that's prior to Southern Pacific, I think it was, it was a real old train um, yard. And I remember seeing a Jero piece from LA, um, it was like 94. And I really dug it because we went in there just to see what was in there, saw this Jero piece, and Jero had like this real nice wild style pieces that were compact with a lot of arrows. And um, I was into it uh, because he has kind of a similar style to mine in some ways. And then I think we started going there to snap pictures. And then shortly after that, I think I saw a car from New York. I saw a car. It was a, it was a Milk Vism. Yeah. Sign five calves cars. It's all <laughs> D and R W G, whatever that that car stands for. Yeah, I don't know exactly which one you're talking about. And you know, I'm a big buff for New York history, and so like I, I didn't. You got to remember, this was all prior to internet and stuff like this, and and people. Um, the only way to learn about writers at that point was like trading photos. And I'll I'll go back to that in a second, but. Um, I saw, the, you know, these guys, and they were hitting up New York crews like TFP and stuff like that. And I was like, fuck, these guys are New York City uh, subway riders doing freights. And um, I guess it just kind of blew my mind that trains can travel that far and that, you know, that, you know, you could paint a train and then two weeks later it's, you know, it's on the other side of the country. And so it just made me realize that, you know, we could be part of our idols. And for me at that point, I was totally looking up to New York, um, you know, I changed my style all the way back to New York funk letters and um, uh, to see that, to see my heroes on the trains, all of a sudden it was like, boom, graffiti was democratized and, uh, and we took off. And also like I'll mention prior to that, um, like around 92, we, uh, I went down to LA with Rifa and we went to, I think it was the B-Boy Summit in LA, I think. Um, and I met a bunch of writers there. I met Dub and Fear. I'm sure they don't remember me, but they were painting. Um, Slick was there. Dream and Vogue were there. And I met this cat named Iser. Um, 
and uh, I'm sure he'll listen to this at some point in his life. But Iser was real big at tra trading photos, um, and he was down with a bunch of cats from the East Coast, like SB and Baser, and this whole network crew. Um, and so I started, I'd been trading photos with him, and he was always asking me about, well, do you have any freights? Do you have any freights? And do you have any freights? And um, so, yeah, so that was like 93, 94. And so it was just like all those things kind of merged, you know, and we started doing freights. Um, and for me, it was, it was just like, you know, I quote Ben whenever I talk about, you know, trains, you know, the art form needs to move, in my opinion. You know, walls, you know, I, I like graffiti, but walls are dead for me for some reason. And it's like just the art needs to move. It, it's the initial inspiration of the art form. So um, anyway, me and my boy Rifa, we just started bombing. Um, and we don't have a whole lot of freights like some of these other guys do. Um, you know, we were never into numbers or anything like that. And it was just about actually rocking real nice, full color, wild style end to ends. And um, I think that's kind of what we became known for. And um, so, yeah, so we predominantly wrote between late 94 to 97 and then I moved back to the Bay Area and Rifa went on to stay in Sacramento and school a whole bunch of writers um, in Sacramento and I'll just name those guys so it's like there was this whole second generation of like Sacramento writers like Jerome, Jessel, Stu, Emer. Um, I don't know any of these cats for the most part but he schooled a bunch of them and they're pretty fresh you know, some of them do our style better than I can do my own style, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> but I guess that's the way graph works, you know. It just, you know, people take it and they, and they run with it. So, yeah, we used to always paint in two yards. Those yards are gone now. I was there this summer. Um, I passed through there on a cross-country freight hopping trip. Those, I passed through those two yards, and they're gone. And it was the Blue Diamond Almond Plant and this old Western Pacific yard that completely tore down and, and um, yeah, all those end to ends that we did were done at night. Um, we never did any daytime yards and um, we didn't have any. And um, uh, yeah, we got up and it was cool. You know, this was, I, I think I look back to those days and these, these were like, you know, I, I had this book, this, this freight train book and you know, I, I like to look at it sometimes and it's like, these were like the good old days because people were all trading photos back then. And that's how like, you know, Cole would send me something from Atlanta and be like, yo, I just got some of your throw-ups. And I'd be like, word, I just did those two weeks ago. And, you know, so there was this, like, cool pre-internet, you know, communication, you know, calling people on phone and exchanging photos. And uh, um, it was dope. It was real dope. And uh, going to the yards to, you know, to look for, look for a graph. And there was only a handful of writers back then, you know, and... Um, so uh, who's yeah. on the trains back then? So we, for whatever reason, I guess it's just because we're in California, we got a lot of uh, L.A. writers. So we got a lot of AWR. We got, a, um, like, who was it? It was like Hayes. I think yeah. I'm confused about who was in what crew, but it was L.A. writers. So it was like Hayes. It was Big Five in Crisis, uh, Mech, um, Jero, Bless, Bus, these guys. Um, I was always a big fan of Jarrow's pieces because he did these nice wild styles. And we also got some of these Albuquerque writers. So I think it was like Such and, and Suge, I think. And um, we didn't ever get anything from New York except for 
one or two cars, just for whatever reason. We didn't get it. And we got some from Minneapolis. I can't even remember the name from that, the guy that from out in Minneapolis. I forget his name. Maybe it, was, it wasn't Reno's, but it was someone from Minneapolis. I can't remember his name. But, uh, yeah, the small, uh, we, get some, we get some stuff from Canada. Um, we get some virus stuff every once in a while. And um, he's dope. Uh, he's, a, he's a king. That dude is a king on everything. And so I look up to him a lot. No one knows the story. You know? he, I guess he's a slept-on writer. You know, and uh, but he's part of those King crews. I mean, he paints with like Luna and Scene and those guys. And uh, um, you know, he's a real good guy too. I just got to say, he's a good guy, and uh, he's been around a long time now. So uh, uh, yeah, Virus. I'm a big fan of his stuff. Cool. Um, So, is there a particular train that traveled a lot that you? you know, sort of has a story behind it? Um, it kind of took on a life of its own? There's a well-known one that went in a lot of magazines um, and books and this sort of thing. It was this big wood chip, the Southern Pacific wood chip hop, uh, car. These giant cars are like almost double the size of a normal hopper car and they're all rusted. Um, I don't know if there's a story behind it, but me and Rifa... Um, we went out there and we, what's that? Has the skyline in the background? Exactly. It's got the Golden Gate Bridge. So we spent two nights doing that. And, you know, people laugh about that, that you would spend two nights doing a freight. But we went out there and buffed it the first night with roller paint um, because it was all like kind of rusty and shitty. But the surface is so nice and flat that it's, it's almost like the best trains to paint. And uh, so we went out there and buffed it waited a few hours and then we did our outlines and then we came back um, and did it the next, did the whole piece the next night. Um, we totally fried two nights in a row bombing like that. Um, but I don't know if there's a story behind it, but that, that piece is still running. You know, every once in a while I'll like go on the 12 ounce and I'll like, you know, like search my name and I'll, and I'll see that people have flicked it and it looks like shit now, but um, <laughs> It's still running, you know, and we're going on 15 years. So um, I think that's still pretty cool that, you know, it, it's out there. Has it been written over or anything like that? Um, I, haven't, I haven't seen it, you know, written over. Some of, you know, I don't really care if people write over my shit. You know, it's like, it, it's, it's had its life, um, you know. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't get involved with all these internet beefs about people crossing over, you know, this <laughs> If you want to write over my shit, then that's your prerogative. I'm probably never going to be able to do anything about it. You know, it's like if you're from Indiana and writing over my shit, you know, I can't do anything about it. And um, and at this point in my life, I don't really care. You know what I mean? I've got the photos. You know, I've got the memories. And if you want to write over it and dog it, then, you know, that's your prerogative. You know, uh, it'd be nice if you respect me. I am an old school writer. But if you don't, fuck it. You know, later on in life, you might look back and say, oh, wow, I was a super toy writing over these well-known writers and feel guilty about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I have to say on that. You know, I don't get caught up in any Internet beef or any, you know. I used to, but, you know, I'm a grown man now. I'm almost 40, so um, this shit's all back in my late teens and 20s. So, uh, Well, um, do you have, I mean, do you have an idea of how many trains you guys did paint? Um, Rifa has more because he continued, um, after me, um, I would say I have 50 freights, um, 
And that may not sound like a lot to people these days. You know, I, I hear people are like pushing a thousand. Um, I don't know if that means anything, if they're all toy pieces um, and, uh, or just silvers, that sort of thing. So I would say 50, and, and most of them are like full-color burners and or end-to-end. So I am proud of them. Um, I do have um, a lot of clean trains. You know, after uh, um, I quit, not quit graffiti, I just got distracted with life. I went back to college um, from 97 to 2001. Um, so I wasn't able to do graffiti the way I used to. Um, but then I moved to Europe, um, and I kind of had like a, 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 what do you call it, a, a swan song, I guess, if you want to call it. Um, and um, I, I did a bunch of subways when I was in Europe. I lived in Europe for five years in Switzerland. And so I have about 20 clean trains, um, uh, full-color full panels and end-to-ends. And, 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 and um, and those I'm actually more proud of, actually, the clean trains and my freights. Um, and the, the clean train, this is like switching gears into like clean trains, but um, the, the clean trains are way more hardcore than, than freights ever can be. And, um, yeah, tell, um, us, tell us what it's yeah, like. Yeah, I'll talk about it because a lot of American <laughs> writers don't know about the European scene. But um, the European scene is hardcore, and it's, it's like New York was in between 79 and, you know, 84. It's, you're going in there on Mission Impossible missions. And I didn't know, you know, how to paint like that. I didn't know how to do a panel in 15 minutes. Like, the European writers are just like, they go in there kamikaze style. And they do things. I watched some production. The crew I ran with was called VTO, Vandal Taking Over. And they're kind of the kings in Switzerland as far as trains. They're pretty well known in Europe, and um, they just do crazy things. You know, each of those guys have between 500 and 1,000 panels and whole cars, um, and they would do crazy shit. They would go in 15-minute panels. They could do end-to-ends in about 25 minutes where one person starts to outline, another person goes in starts filling in, and another person starts outlining the piece. And so they would just get crazy shit done so fast. They would paint with two hands. And um, I'm sure you can, if you go to YouTube, I'm sure you can see some of the insane missions that they do. And um, these are breaking into yards and layups and shit and uh, with security, with police. So it's much different than going out to, you know, the woods and painting the freight. And um, yeah, that's why those European writers, when they come here, they come to New York City and they rock whole cars. It's because they're trained from a totally different level. You know, they're hardcore. So, um, so I give it to them. You know, I give it up to them. I don't like all that European style. Some of it is really whack, in my opinion. But um, when you got clean trains, you know, I give it up to you 100%. So, so who are some of your partners in Switzerland? Um, I had a big crime buddy. Not just graffiti, but we got into all sorts of trouble. And... Um, <laughs> That's a whole other topic, and um, I managed to avoid all the bad stuff, and I'm grateful that I've been given that opportunity to um, not pay the piper, I guess you call it. And um, But my boy Chubbs, BTO, um, and uh, these guys were part of the MOA conglomerate. And if you don't know, MOA is Monsters of Art, and they are the king crew in Europe. Um, and they're the king crew because... 
they're kind of like McDonald's in the sense that it's a Denmark crew from Copenhagen and they're hardcore train bombers. And so other people may say, I'm king of this, I'm king of that, Lumet this and these guys, but these are wall riders. And so for me, you know, you, you can't call yourself a king unless you're doing the trains. And I'm from that kind of school, New York school of, you know, you gotta, the art needs to move. That's what Ben used to always say, the art needs to move. And so I believe that. And so, you know, MOA is the king crew of Europe. You can ask anyone. So VTO is, was a chapter of MOA, um, and they got chapters all over. And so um, I ran with these guys. So it was, it was VTO, it was Chubbs, um, Resk, Cars, and Sexy. And between, the, you know, the four of those guys, they have like maybe 4,000 trains. And that's like, that's impressive. You know, that's really impressive. So, um some of those guys still have never been caught, too. That's even more impressive. So um, big shout-out to those guys. And they're still going. Um, they're my age, and they're still going. So shout-out to them. Wow, cool. So um, what happened? <laughs> what you happened? You moved back. What happened after that? What happened after well, um, you know, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a, I live in the South Bronx now. It's crazy. You know, so I'm from Berkeley, and... I somehow wound up in the South Bronx. Um, I moved back to New York to do my master's degree. Um, and New York, uh, real estate is super expensive. Like you gotta be like super rich to live here. And I'm not, especially as a student. So I moved to the South Bronx, I got a loft. And it's funny, I'm just a couple blocks away from 149th Street um, in the Grand Concourse. And um, not by any sort of coming here to do graffiti, but that's just where I'm living. So yeah, I did my master's um, two years ago. A lot of my projects um, are, are graffiti influenced, although they don't look like the Source magazine cover. And um, you know, I do a lot of projects, at least my student projects in school were historically based, celebrating the, the New York City subway movement. Um, and yeah, now uh, I've worked for some very famous designers who I don't want to name because I want to keep these two worlds separate. Right. Um, even though I'm not doing anything illegally anymore, my career is beginning to blo blossom uh, in the design world. Everyone knows I'm a graffiti artist, but I still would like to keep those worlds a little bit separate if I can. And um, yeah, you know, I love graffiti. You know, I love graphic design. It's very similar. And um, yeah, it's been an interesting path. You know, it's been a real in interesting path, and uh, uh, I'm lucky to have made it. You know, I'm really lucky to have made it because, you know, I should be in prison. I just need to say that. Based <laughs> on all the stuff I did, I should be in prison. You know, I really should be in prison, and for whatever reason, I'm not in prison. And uh, some of my friends are, and, uh, yeah, I'm grateful for that. So. Well, cool. Um, you mentioned, you talked a little bit about... Uh, freight hopping and we talked a little bit about yeah. it before yeah let me talk about that um that's something I'm, I'm super into right now so i haven't done a piece since 2005 you know and i'm one of them old school writers who say well i've done a piece in the last three or four years so i'm still active this is what happens when you get older um to a lot of the younger <laughs> kids you know you say active motherfucker you're retired you're like no one even knows you anymore so I did it, the last piece I did was 2005 uh, in, in Amsterdam. I did a bunch of uh, street and freeway pieces uh, with my friends in Amsterdam when I was there. And um, so in the meantime, I got busy at school. Um, 
And then I got nominated by a very famous designer um, to give a lecture in Denver at a very big design conference um, in front of 3,000 people. Um, and so I decided that I was going to give a presentation and I was going to travel from New York City to Denver, document my trip, and that was going to be my presentation at the design conference. So, um, so I did it. And I had hopped some freights with Rifa back in 94. We'd just done some like uh, Sacramento to Richmond hops and back. We'd rode an engine on the way back, which was kind of cool. But I wanted to really try a long distance one, and I didn't know how to do it. You know, I had Duffy Littlejohn's book, Hopping Freight Trains in America, which if anyone out there wants to ride freights, you really need to read that book first just to get the air brake safety type of stuff. So I did this trip, um, and I did it eight days. I ended up in the wrong place. I was trying to go to Denver. I ended up in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, <laughs> um, I learned all the, the wrong, you know, you learn by mistakes, and um I did make it to Denver and um, gave a presentation, and it, it, they loved it, you know, they loved it. And after that, I was juiced, and um, I started spending a lot of time researching freight hopping, hobos, learning about the, the big four train systems, how they're run, running trains, and, um, and yeah. And so in the last two years, I, I put on 10,000 miles on the freights, and... Um, I've crossed the country three times, and uh, I'm pretty hardcore now. And I'm in with the old school hobos, these old guys. Um, and I don't want to talk too much about that. I just would rather leave that mysterious because they don't need any publicity and the way the Internet is. It's just I'd rather just keep it quiet. Um, but, but, yeah, I love it. It's going to be a huge part of my life for the next, I don't know, 20 years. Um, and uh, it, America is a beautiful, beautiful country. Hoboing has such a, it, it has such a tradition. And, and so what I'm doing now is so cool. It's almost like, it's, it's almost like my toy days when I was a toy. It's like I'm sending, I'm sending packages to these old school hobos, and I, you know, I get these letters back where they are, and they send me some maps, or they send me schedules of certain trains. And I, I've been to a couple hobo conventions, and... Um, yeah, it's like my toy days when I was young, except it's now it's for hoboing. So um, I have kind of like a new, like a, a new adventure. You know, I went from graffiti to, you know, European graffiti to graphic design, and now I'm going into freight hopping. You know, it's been this big, long train adventure. And um, I know what I'm doing now as far as freight hopping. I can make it across the country in five days from New York City to Oakland. Um, and uh, depending on the transfer I make in, in, in Chicago. But uh, I ride only TFOC trains. These are piggybacks. Um, I don't fuck with boxcars or hop hoppers or any of that stuff. Um, double stacks are becoming harder to ride because they're converting most of the wells from 48s. TTX makes these, used to make these 48s, and they're converting them to 40s so the containers take up the entire... Uh, car. So these are really hard to ride now. But this is what people used to always ride. And I ride piggyback. And most people don't ride piggybacks because you're really, really exposed. And, um, but the deal with piggybacks, just in case for people don't know, these are the fastest trains on the line. And they average 70 miles an hour when they're out on the road. Um, and they carry only uh, perishable freight and mail freight, like UPS ground freight. 
So if you want to get somewhere fast, get on one of these and just <laughs> fucking hang on because they they go so fast. I did not know trains moved that fast until riding a TFOC hotshot. So that's the story with that. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm in afraid hopping, man. I just got love for it, man. The funny thing is, is I just did this cross-country trip. I rode the High Line, which is it runs from Chicago up through Montana over to Seattle and Portland. And I did a 4,000-mile trip. I went New York, uh, Albany, Buffalo, Cleveland, Chicago, then transferred to BNSF and then went through the High Line. And then down the coast from Portland um, on UP into Oakland. And the funny thing is it took me eight days. And I didn't even pay attention to graffiti. And I know that sounds weird, but there was maybe one or two pieces that I could remember. It was like a big five piece and a signed five piece. And otherwise, all the other shit looked the same to me. And I don't mean to like look down at it, but it's maybe it's just because I don't know the writers now, maybe because there's so many writers doing that, so many writers doing it that it doesn't stand out anymore. Um, but, um, and it may just be out like old and cranky now, you know, like <laughs> it could be totally all those things put together, but I did notice there's a ton of graph on it, but, but nothing stood out to me. Every once in a while, I'd see a whole car and go, wow, a whole car. But I couldn't even tell you who it is. So I'm not up on today's train riders, who they are. Um, uh, so that's, that's the story with the freight hopping. So uh, tell us about maybe your favorite trip, your favorite my favorite trip, well, it gets easier. That's, that's yeah. what I do have to say, and I will say about freight hopping. It's, it's just like graph, I guess, with anything in life. You know, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Um, my last trip was the best, um, I think, because I knew what I was doing. And, you know, when you're doing these cross-country mi uh, missions, you have to plan it out. And the last trip was the best, you know, and it, it's the easiest. It's still really stressful because... You know, I ride piggyback, so there's nowhere to hide. And so you, you have to crawl up on the axle gear as you're slowing into the yards. And a lot of times the bowls are sitting on the, the edges of the yards. Um, and they, they call it rolling trains. They're rolling the trains for riders coming in. Sometimes at night they do it with spotlights. And sometimes in the day they're just waiting there. So it's not like you can just kick back. So you have to be on top of your shit. But more and more, once you plan out your schedule you know when you need to be prepared to pull into a yard. Um, so this last trip was the, was the best. I was most prepared. I knew my route. And I went through the most beautiful part of the country, which in my opinion is Montana. Um, going through Glacier National Park is just, it's fucking gorgeous. You know, it's, um, you know, you see these old school movies like, what's the name of that? King, what is that? The Empire of the North or whatever, this old hobo movie. And, uh, you see them like running out of the woods to jump on a train. And this is where the shit was, was uh, filmed, like Montana and up in Dunsmere. So it's like this beautiful mountain, mountain area. And um, it was cool, you know. And I always loved, I have to say, freight hopping in the West is much more beautiful than the East. There's not a lot in the East. It's just rolling plains and it's not very beautiful. But freight hopping in the West is great. You know, the West is a beautiful part of the country. And... Um, so it was good. I, I got arrested once in the Bronx, if you believe it, believe it or not. Um, out of all places to get arrested, I got arrested in my hometown. 
Um, and I just got hit up with uh, a trespassing ticket. Um, they let me go. And, uh, um, and I came back the next day and then went on, started my trip. That was the very first trip I did. And, um, so tell us about that trip in the first one. Uh, I'll tell you about that first trip. Well, well, that was the trip that I did for the design conference. Um, oh, and, you know, right. and, and I, I had read Duffy Littlejohn's book um, about freight hopping. And um, he kind of sugarcoats that book, just FYI, for you guys reading that book. <laughs> Do freight hopping. The idea that you can just walk into a freight yard in the daytime and then ask workers what, where the train to Kalamazoo is, is not very realistic. And I wouldn't suggest it unless you want to go to jail. And um, so I did that, you know, I did that shit, you know, because I was like, fuck it, you know, I'm not doing any graffiti on the train, so I got nothing to worry about, you know, I'm just trespassing. So I walked right into the yard in the Bronx, the Oak, I think it's Oak Point Yard. It's in the South Bronx, real shady area, and um, I'm sure there's lots of, like, theft in that yard. Anyway, right away, 30 seconds after walking into the front gate of that yard, boom, the bull was on me, you know, asked me what the fuck I was doing. And I just told him, you know, I was trying to get to the West Coast, you know, whoop-de-whoop, my mom died, I'm trying to get to the funeral, whatever. Talk my way <laughs> out of it. He ended up taking um, my, I had a knife, um, and he ended up taking my, my pocket knife, gave me a ticket, and um, told me to basically to get the fuck out of there. And so what I ended up doing is I ended up going to a different uh, train yard to hop out of. I, I went up north to a small place called Poughkeepsie, it's on the Hudson River. And then, hop, and, hop, and then hopped out of Poughkeepsie, which is very difficult because there's no yard. They just stop there for a, uh, a trial. It's a switch. So they just stop uh, on a single track main line. They're just stopping to let trains pass. And so trains don't always stop there. So it's difficult to get on trains there. But, uh, yeah, that first trip, man, it was, it was tough, man. The other thing I did on that trip, I quit drinking a couple years ago. Uh, I'm totally sober now. But back then I used to drink a lot. And I did that first trip totally fucking hammered the whole time. And I wouldn't advise it unless you want to die. But um, uh, I did it hammered, which probably uh, uh, made it much more difficult than it should have been. Um, and that's how I ended up in, in Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, the thing about well, I remember this about Jacksonville, Florida. Florida has these giant fucking spiders, man. They're, they're called these golden orb spiders. And I remember getting off in the freight yard. And I'm arachnophobic, by the way. That's the only thing that really scares me. And I remember getting off in Florida and just being getting off the train yard and walking towards the highway. And there's these giant fucking spiders everywhere. And I was like, fucking A, I'm a, I want to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was crazy. So how did you eventually wind up? I mean, how did you get to Denver? Um, oh, okay. So I, I did, yeah, the, de the deal with, you know, I'm sure a lot of people out here know that there's basically super highways on the train system. There's interstate lines um, or their main lines, their main lines. And if, if people out there want to do some research on where the main lines are, you can buy a map called a tonnage map. And a tonnage map is a map that shows you how many tons per square, I don't know, mile or, or, or mile um, trains roll on. Because when you look at a, a train track, you can't tell that it's a main line. You know, they're all shiny. Um, so back, so I, sorry to fuck myself up. So I learned that you want to, 
travel main lines if you want to get somewhere fast. And so basically I went from New York, I went down um, the main line down to uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and I did the route. I can't remember the route. It's not the Sunset route, but it's on uh, NF, NS, and it runs from uh, uh, Atlanta to, uh, what is it, Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah, that's, like, that's one of the main lines. And then I went up to Armorillo, Texas. And then from Armorillo, I went over to Colorado and then up into Denver. And then I ended up having to catch a Greyhound bus from the, the final stretch from, what was this, this funky little town called Walsenburg. Big old, like, crank town. Everyone there is like a meth head. And I went from there to Denver. And um, so I, the, the final, like, 100 miles I did by Greyhound, Greyhound bus because I just needed to get to the conference at that point. Right. And, you know, I needed to edit my video, like, a day before the conference and uh, do it in Final Cut and present it. But, uh, yeah, that was a rough trip, man. That was rough. Totally fucking fried. And, you know, anyone that's hot freights know how fried you get. It's crazy. It's like a crazy bombing mission times a thousand. And, um, you know, it, it burns you out, really burns you out. So uh, speaking about the methods, do you have any crazy stories from any of the trips? I mean, um, I have a crazy story I thought I would tell. Um, and, it, yeah, there's some drugs involved in it. Um, and it, but but there's some graffiti and there's uh, kind of like a chase involved in it, so it's kind of a good story. And <laughs> okay. it, it's the closest I've ever come to dying. Um, and it took place um, in Sacramento, um, and I lived in a place called Oak Park, which is was was, was and I think is still a ghetto of Sacramento. Um, and it's it's a big crack spot, um, and it's 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 blood. It's run by the Bloods, and um, with, they had a lot of gangs at that point. Maybe they still do. I don't know. And I lived there, and so I this, used to, this is... Like mid-90s or something? What's that? Was this like mid-90s? I mean, this... Yeah, this is 94, okay, and so this was like the peak of my street bombing days, and um, I was bombing hard at that point, and um, what I used to do is I, worked, I had a graveyard shift at this, I worked at a bagel, I had a legit job too, so I worked at a bagel factory at night. And every night I used to ride my bicycle across town to South Sacramento, work from 6 to 2 in the morning, and then every night ride back home across town and, and bomb the fucking city. And every night I would take a different route. And so that's how I went all city. And the way I used to bomb was I would bomb with a bicycle. And so I would pull up to the spot that I wanted to bomb without even getting off the bike and just putting one leg down and then do like a big throw up or do tag or whatever I need to do without getting off the bike, and move on to the next corner spot. Um, and if you want to, for kids out there, you want to get up, go all city, this is the way to do it. Really great way to cover a lot of territory. Um, so any night, I was, was coming home this one night. It was like, you know, 3 in the morning, bombing the whole way back. And I came back to Oak Park onto a street called Broadway, which is just the crack spot. Um, just, just the, there's dealers out on the corner. Gangsters running around, a lot of like crack hoes selling, you know, selling pussy and stuff. And there was almost no one on the street except for this one dude standing on the corner. Um, and he was selling dope. Is this brother with cornrows? And I wasn't really tripping on it. You know, there's people selling dope out there all the time. And so I pulled up across the street from him. Um, and there was this abandoned burnout building. And I started doing a single line throw up. I've got this letter A throw up. I used to do a lot. Um, 
And I, I had looked at him. He was just standing there, and I wasn't really tripping on him. He wasn't tripping on me. And I started doing this, and all of a sudden, um, I felt something go by my head very quickly. Um, and I felt some wind pass by my face. And then I heard this, Ew! and then like a second later, I heard this, boom. And I was like, what the fuck was that? And then another second later, something passed by very close to my head. And then I heard this, Ew! and then I heard a bang. And I turned around, and the dude is standing there shooting at me. Um, yeah, this was crazy. And he's got like a little 22, a little 22. And this was 2.30, 3 in the morning, and I'm the only one out there on the street, completely dead. And he's about 75 feet away from me, across the street on the corner. I'm directly across from him. <laughs> and I freaked the fuck out. And I was like, fuck. And so I dropped my spray can right there. I, I put my hand back on my handlebars. And I had a backpack um, slung on one shoulder because I used to keep cans in it. And I, and I pushed off to get some momentum so I could start pedaling. And as I pushed off, my backpack slid down my arm, went down to, towards where the handlebars are, and then the straps caught up in the very front of the hub of the front wheel, and I did an endo over, over the handlebars onto the street and dislocated my shoulder. And so I'm lying there in the middle of the street with a dislocated shoulder, two in the morning, middle of the street, and this dude starts walking over towards me with the gun raised at me. And I swear to God, dude, it was like some movie shit. It was like, you know, I was about to die right there. And he was going to come over there and shoot me at close range. And um, looking back on it now, I have to say he probably thought that I wasn't a graffiti artist. He probably thought I was just another gang member, you know, marking, you know, maybe I was from, you know, Elk Grove or something, some crit neighborhood marking the territory. But he was going to come over there and shoot me. And, um, yeah, I freaked out. I totally freaked out. And I pulled the, the backpack out of my front spokes, dropped it, picked my bike up, and he's still walking over towards me. He's pretty close, and he's about 35 feet away from me. Um, and I'm just waiting for him to pop another cow. Got on my bike and just pedaled down the middle of the street, and he didn't shoot any more rounds. Um, and I left my backpack there, rolled home, Got home and my, like tears were running down my eyes. I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. And that was kind of like the last like time I bombed in that neighborhood after that. And um, <laughs> I continued bombing. But um, the funny thing I have to say about that is, is, is I stopped riding my bike um, after that. You know, it was like that, that was close enough to, you know, getting basically murdered out in the middle of the street that I was cool. A couple nights later, I drove my car back um, on that street just out of like some weird, you know, coming back to the scene of the crime. And the dude was still out there standing there. And it just kind of tripped me out. I was like, fuck. So, um, yeah, that was like my last night of bombing. And so shortly after that, um, bombing the street, shortly after that, we got into freights. But uh, that was my graffiti chase dope story all mixed into one. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that was intense. And, uh, That's a great story. Yeah. You know, I do have lots of other chase stories. I have been arrested. I think it's common that in graph that you get arrested. Um, I'd love to be one of those writers who has a 25-year career and never gets arrested. But, you know, I got arrested filming for video graph 8. Me and Rifa were filming and uh, bombing the light rails in Sacramento, and I got arrested. Um, hit with a felony. 
Um, I did two weeks uh, in, in county jail and uh, um, $10,000 fine. I'm still paying on it. Believe it or not, I pay $50 a month. And um, I learned a lot of valuable lessons in that. And I just wanted to pass these on real quick to younger writers, to anyone ever caught in any crime. Do not give the police any statements, period. You have a right to remain silent. Anything you say, they're going to use against you. And they did. And because when I got arrested that time for videograph, I was like drunk. I just drank a 40. And I, I was saying all this stupid shit like, yeah, I did it, this and that. And boom, when it came time to, you know, trial, they already had an admission, uh, uh, admission of guilt. And so they can charge, they, they could charge me with felony vandalism instead of plea, plea bargaining for just like a misdemeanor graffiti charge. And so, so I got hit with felony vandalism. So I got one strike on me. And um, yeah, you know, I've been arrested a bunch of other times since then for different things. And now when that's happened, I just like, nope, I don't have anything to say to you, period. You know, period. You know, period. I don't have anything to say. And, and you know, 95% of those times that something I did get arrested, those, those cases went away, you know, because they, they, didn't, they didn't have anything. So, right. yeah, I'm all legit. You know, I, like I said, I'm grateful I'm not in prison. I'm all legit now. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I turned the corner on that whole lifestyle. And, uh, it, you know, it, 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 it's not worth it. And I'm grateful to be. Uh, where I'm at now in life, so cool. Yeah, yeah, that's um, some good pieces of wisdom there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess going back, I I just want to ask a few more questions about yeah, yeah, totally. Sort of the the Sacramento days. Um, yeah. Do you remember the first train you painted with Rifa? Um, the very first train. I don't think we have pictures of it. We painted it uh, on a layup that is in between uh, Sacramento and a city called Davis. Um, and they used to lay up trains there. There's like a tract house in there now, so there's not a yard. Um, it was toy. We painted it when it was raining, so, you know, it was just like dripping and shit. We never got good pictures of it. I think we caught like a side angle of it somewhere because we used to go up to Roseville, to the big Roseville U, uh, UP yard to take pictures. I think we got a side angle of it, but we don't have pictures of it. The very second train I know we painted, um, there are pictures of it, and it was our, our very first end-to-end that we did, and it was on a hopper, um, and uh, it said, send size, it's orange and yellow. It's on my Flickr page. You know, I'll, I'll send a link uh, to you if you want to check it out. Um, but it was done early 95, um, and it was done in Sacramento, uh, at the Western Pacific, the old Western Pacific Yard, which was the SP Yard. Um, and it just, you know, it, it just happened naturally. We did two panels, and then we were like, fuck it, let's uh, connect it with the cloud, put a couple little characters, and let me do some little blockbusters beneath it. And then we are like, fuck, it's an end-to-end. And then once we saw that, it was like, great, you know, let's just do end-to-ends after this. And so we just did end-to-end hoppers. That was our thing. And we always painted above the hump um, because we always felt that the hump kind of like distorted the pieces. So we always tried to float um, uh, the pieces above the hump. And uh, we used to go in there with these milk crates and stack them four high to stand on top of them, um, you know, to do our pieces and shit. Look at it, break my neck, standing on four milk crates, crates <laughs> trying to outline the top of a piece on gravel and shit. But, uh, 
Yeah, those were fun, man. Those days were real good, you know. So and is it the orange one with the? There's a blue background. Blue background. There's a little character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Reefer did a little fucked up b boy. I think it says '95 and below it said "Taking Those Sellouts." Um, so that's I, I consider that basically our first piece, and um, just like classic New York style, um, you know, funk letters with arrows and a nice 3D. And um, so, what got you all into trains? I mean, what into that, freight trains? Yeah, like what uh, was it? Seen the East Coast Riders, or was, did, no, was it? No, just like that? I mentioned before, I, I just think it was. I I had seen some trains, you know, I'd going back a long time. I had seen a couple trains, I think, in a couple can controls. I think like Iser, who I was trading a lot of photographs. Every time I talked to him, he was always like, why don't you send me some trains, dude, or something like that, you know? And I would, I'd be like, well, I don't ever go to the train yards or whatever. So, um, and so I think, like, the first time that I did go to the train yards, like I said, you know, I saw a Jero piece. And, uh, and you know, I like his style. And, 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 and I was like, oh, fuck, okay, this is dope. You know, it's trains, you know, it's got wheels, the art is moving, you know, it's going places. And. It just felt natural, you know, it just felt natural. And um, as a wall writer, you know, we never got a chance to paint steel. You know, we never got a chance to, like those New York writers. Um, and I'm always jealous of them. You know, I, I always tell people I was born in the wrong era. <laughs> and that uh, I should have been born between, I should have been writing between 78 and 84. You know, to me, these are just the heyday of graffiti. And, um, so it just started, and then we just started trading flicks and uh, started, you know, it's so funny. You know, I listen to these other interviews and listening to SB and, and, and these guys and, you know, trading with Baser. You know, I got down with Virus, with Iser, and just trading photos with these other cats. Uh, and we, we could connect via the trains. You know, that was the one way we could all connect on one medium. Um, and, uh, you know, now we know that's, that's the way the train system works. You know, the freight trains dem- democratize graffiti for, for the nation, I think. So. Cool. Yeah. So what else? Anything else? Um, I'm trying to think, man. Yeah, I think you've... Chase story, history, trains, clean trains. Uh, what else? Uh, I mean, do you still, do you still follow it at all? No, I've been following it a little bit more. Um, you know, this, I guess this is common that uh, old school writers come and go into the graffiti scene. You know, like you don't hear from someone from 10 years and then all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden they're like got a flicker page and you're like, oh, fuck, that person's still alive. <laughs> you know, that person, oh, he's painting with this person. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's like reminiscing and that sort of stuff. So I've been doing a little bit of that. Um, the more I got into freight hopping, I think the more I began to be exposed to, you know, the recent graffiti freight culture. And um, in the last two years, you know, I uploaded a bunch of my old school pictures, began to pay attention to, like, kind of what's going on in the scene a little bit more. Um, I'm not going to paint any freights. I'm done with that. I'm, like, retired from illegal graffiti at this point in my life. And, um, uh, yeah, you know, and I guess it's just, like, you know, this is, I'm growing older. You know, I'm sure all of us are back, and when we get older, we're gonna 
reminisce. You know, you hear, you see these D-Day guys at Storm Normandy meeting <laughs> 80 years old with these UFW hats or whatever or something, you know, looking at photographs. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we're all going to be like that when we're older. And, uh, you know, I'm pushing 40 here. So um, I like to kind of reminisce about some of this stuff, the glory days, I guess. And, uh, yeah, that's that. Nice, man. Well, yeah. We we certainly appreciate you reminiscing with us for this interview. So yeah, yeah, and you know I'm honored to be asked. You know, and uh, uh, you know because a lot of kids don't. I think writers, the freight scene writers nowadays, probably don't even know who I am. I, I've been in a lot of books. I've been in a lot of magazines. I think most of the old school writers who were part of that first generation freight, and I'm not even really first generation freight. You know, first generation probably goes back to early '90s and stuff like. Porn and Power and those guys, those are probably first generation, but um, a lot of these younger cats don't even probably know who I am and probably think I'm a toy or something like that, but um, that's all good, you know, this is, you know, I enjoy doing this, so it's, thanks for uh, asking me to do this. Well, cool, man. It's it's definitely been one of those interviews I've I've looked forward to and I've, I've kind of, I don't know, it took me a while to find you, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. I cool. appreciate you doing it. Yeah, but, no um, problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't have any other questions. If Okay. Anything you want to say in closing? Anyone you want to no, say I mean, hello to? <laughs> I don't have any, like, words of wisdom other than, uh, you know, know your history. You know, know that there's a lot of writers who put in a lot of work before you guys. Uh, I, I think Ichabod gave some great, uh, you know, words of wisdom. Take your trash out. You know, don't dog the inside of the train yards and, um, you know, keep getting up, I guess, you know, maybe make this art form evolve. It seems like we're a little bit stagnant for the most part, you know, and I'm part of that problem too. I didn't do anything new, but, you know, nothing new in graffiti has really been done since about 1982. It seems like there has been no big pioneering things happening. So maybe push the art form. What that is, I don't know, but, um, you younger cats will know what it is. So, Push it. I mean, I, I guess I should give a shout out. I don't know, but um, we used to uh, trade flicks also with Fate and Hash TLT, and um, these uh, you know they used to have their video, which I think is was pioneering in uh, the freight hopping. The line's so, toughest. What's that? The line's toughest. Yeah, TLT. Have you? Right. Do you know anything about it? Oh yeah, I remember. Oh that. okay, okay, yeah. I mean, the only video I have is the one we're in, of course. You know, I'm an egomaniac, but. Um, <laughs> But, you know, they, they, they paved a lot of way, I think, for early pioneering, you know, freight hopping culture, I think. And, uh, um, yeah, so those guys. And uh, who else? Yeah, Ray. Do you know who Ray is? Ray EDK. He's down with DDS. Um, his uh, Seattle crew. Um, no, he was kind of an early freight writer. He was down with Sneak and these guys. He's European. He's, he's a big king. And, uh, huh. yeah, I do like the kids from nowadays. Myth, you know them? Myth and all. Yeah. I've I seen some real nice pieces from them that I like a lot. And um, other than that, I couldn't tell you any present writers other than Ish, just because I listened to his interview. And, I, you know, I've seen some of his blockbusters riding the trains. And uh, other than that, there's no one else I can tell you. Cool. I actually want to ask you one last question in closing. Yeah. Do you have another trip in the in the works? 
Yeah, um, my next trip will probably be in the springtime. Um, it will be cross country. There's something about cross country. There's two trips actually. Um, one is another cross country on the Sunset Route, and for those of you who don't know, the Sunset Route is BNSF. I'm pretty sure it's either BNSF or UP, and it goes from Chicago, and then it goes down to Texas over to LA. And for riders, it's a very difficult route to ride because this is where you have all the INS immigration route. You know, there's all these border patrols, and they're and they're looking to catch illegal aliens, so they're really patrolling the trains. So this is how illegal aliens move around in the country. Or a lot of them do, not all. A lot of them ride trains. So this is the route I want to do because it's a beautiful route. It goes through the you know the high deserts and you know you go through Arizona and that sort of stuff. So I'm going to do a cross country route to that. And the other one I want to do is up to Alaska. You know, and this isn't my my idea. I've been emailing these other cats, um, uh, and they talked about doing a trip from the West Coast up to Seattle and then crossing the border and then going from Vancouver. Up north, and I guess you could. I guess they have a freight barge somewhere up there that takes freights across. I don't know some body of water, and then that you could ride trains up to Alaska. Yeah, in Seattle, power talks yeah, a little yeah. bit about it. Okay, that sounds fucking awesome. You know? <laughs> and, uh, that that's really what I'm looking for. You know, I'm I grew up camping as a youth, and so I enjoy the outdoors, and I love the fish, and this seems like right up my alley. You know, I am aware about, you know, dying out in the woods in Alaska, you know, so I will come prepared. And I probably will never be too far from a freight yard anyway. <laughs> but um, that's, that's one I would like to do. But you need to be really prepared for that. Um, you might even need a rifle. I don't even know what the deal is with bears up there. But uh, <laughs> that, that's my pipe dream trip. And that's kind of the trip to end all trips. Um, I know someone that did some freight hopping in Mexico. And he wouldn't advise it, to put it uh, bluntly. Um, that shit is crazy down there. All sorts of robberies, people. Because they prey on immigrants down there in Mexico, the freight hopping immigrants. So um, shit is out of control in Mexico for freight hopping. But uh, yeah, I want to do another cross-country route. And that'll be in the springtime as soon as it warms up um, and all the desert flowers are blooming. So that'll be nice. Cool, man. Word. Well, hey, thanks a lot for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks hey, thanks a lot for giving me the opportunity to do this. No problem. Thank you. I'll talk to you All later. Right. Peace. Peace.